0: So tonight we'll talk about the power of perspective, Revelation 1, 1 through 9. Three things, if you like structure, the power of perspective, the cost of losing perspective, and the essential perspective. Those are in your notes if you want to follow along. Why don't you stand up? We believe the Word of God is authoritative, whether we acknowledge that authority or not. Um, Happy to talk about that, happy to hear questions about that, but we have a habit of standing up. Uh, When we read his word, it's different than our word, different than our opinions. Here we go. This is the revelation uh, from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. Jesus made it known by sending his angel, which means messenger, to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, like we're doing now. Let's read on. And blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. To John, to the seven churches in the province of Asia, this is who he's writing to, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. And the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. And who has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve God and Father. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. Look, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him. Even those who pierced him. Even those who are opposed to him. And all the peoples on earth, not just his people, all the peoples on earth will mourn because of him. So shall it be. Amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and last letter of the Greek alphabet, the first and the last, he's saying, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. I, John, your dear brother and companion in the suffering and the kingdom and the patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos, it's in the Mediterranean, because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Let's pray real quick. Father, uh, reveal to us tonight Father, what we're talking about tonight is how we can't truly know anything, we can't know ourselves, you, the world, history, anything, unless you kindly and at your own initiative uh, give us eyes that actually see the way things are, that are no longer blinded and captive to our own um, biases and our own limited knowledge. So, Father, would you come? Would you do again for us what you've been doing for 2,000 years, revealing Jesus? We ask this in his name. Amen. Thanks, and you can take a seat. There's this odd thing that's true for me, and it's true for all of you. And it goes like this. Sometimes you have to leave a place and get out of a place before you can ever understand where you were before. So, I am a... Southerner. I am a Georgian. First 25 years of my life, I lived in Georgia. I was raised in Georgia. I didn't leave that much. I had a few trips here, there, road trips, but Georgia was pretty much it for me for 25 years. Uh, I ate Southern food. I listened to Southern music. Uh, I dressed like a Southerner. I drove like a Southerner. I went to a Southern church. I thought like a Southerner I, I, had, I shared the Southern culture with other people. Um, I talked like a Southerner. But I didn't even really realize any of that until the day I packed up my tiny little life in a tiny little Penske truck and drove up to Philadelphia, which I considered the North. It's kind of the mid Atlantic, but I considered it the North, where the Yankees live. And uh, it wasn't until I'd been up there for actually a year or two living like a Northerner, driving like a Northerner. Uh, just being like a northerner, grumpy and miserable and angry at everybody. Just kidding. Is Grace here? She's from Chicago. Uh. But it took me getting out of the South completely. I had to be lifted out of it and put in some other place before I could ever really get my head around what the South actually is, what it means, how it gets in you, how it affects you for better and for worse. I never saw the blind spots until I left. And from that new vantage point of a thousand miles up the coast in a whole different culture, a whole different way of doing everything, looking back at the South was the first time I understood it. I had to get out of it. I had to be lifted out of it for me to understand what it actually is to be Southern. This is the same experience Susanna just had, and some of you have had or will have if you do a study abroad. The reason universities put millions of dollars into study abroad programs isn't so that you can learn the culture or isn't chiefly so that you can learn the culture of some other country. They're not particularly interested in just you going and like becoming a lover of French food or speak a little bit of Japanese. The reason they send you overseas is to get you out of this culture so that from a new perspective and a new distance, you can appreciate where you came from. And I don't mean appreciate in the sense of love. I mean appreciate in the sense of understand it. Have you ever traveled overseas, even for a week or two, and you get back home and you're like, I never realized how consumeristic Americans are. It took you leaving to ever realize that you're a part of that too. Or you ever been away for even longer, you'll realize other stuff. Like if you've ever spent much time in Africa, they have no connection to time. A Person says, I'll be there at 2 p.m. If they get there at 5 p.m., they're still on time because they might have been in an awesome conversation with their neighbor. Why would they leave? So you get used to that when you're living over there and then you look back at America from this new perspective after you've been lifted out of your culture and for the first time you understand why the Africans have have a saying about us Americans. You Americans all have watches but none of you have time. They say you're always busy, you're always on to the next thing. You never have time to sit and stay and talk. It took getting out of America to be able to see something like that. It's the same way why when you're in the bad relationship, you're so confused. It might even be just that you're dating a deadbeat, and your friends get it, your parents get it, but you're like, well, maybe he'll change, or maybe this is normal, or maybe I'm being too harsh on him. It takes you breaking up and getting out of the relationship, and then guess what happens a month later? Why did I ever date that guy? Why was I ever with that girl? You had to get lifted out of where you were to see where you were and to know what it actually was all along. You had to leave your parents' house and get out from under their rules before you could ever look back and critique those rules or appreciate those rules and understand, huh, that's why mom did that. That's why dad did that. And this is why when you've had a hard couple of months or a hard week, you say stuff like, I just need to get out of here for a little while so I can clear my head. Clearing your head is dependent on you getting out of where you are, right? You have to be lifted out. You have to leave where you are to understand where you are and what it's really like where you were. And this goes on and on and on. We could sit here all night and talk about examples of how this is true. You have to be taken out of where you are to see where you truly are uh, to begin with. So here's the big point Here's kind of the let this simmer in your head point for tonight. In a very real sense, in order to understand this world and this life, you have to leave it. You have to get out of it. Or else the same thing will happen with if you never leave America, you'll never know what America really is. If you never leave your parents' house, you'll never know what your parents are really like or what... Liberty on the other side of that is really like. If you never break up from that person, you'll never know what your relationship ever even is because you never had that new perspective to look at it and to see what was really going on. And so it's the same with this world. It's the same with metaphysical stuff or supernatural stuff. If you really want to know what's going on in this world, what the world is about, what history is about, who you are, what you were made to be about, you have to leave You have to be lifted out of where you are and taken to a new vantage point. This is exactly why John said this book of Revelation exists, right? He says it right up at the beginning. The revelation or the perspective from Jesus Christ, which God gave Jesus to show his servants, which is us, that which soon must take place. He made it known by sending his messenger to his servant, John. And John now testifies to us as if we're looking over his shoulder at everything he saw. John was transported, lifted out of this world. He'll say in a couple of verses that we'll look at next week, it was the Lord's day. He's like, I was just minding my own business, doing my own thing on the Sabbath, and the Lord took me up to the heavens. Some symbolic language there, some visions, some stuff we'll talk about in a minute. But at the very least, John is saying, Jesus took me out of here so, so that I could see what's actually here. Jesus isn't interested in giving him like a tour of heaven. Hey, half off today. If you come, I'll show you some cool stuff up here. Jesus took John away from earth to heaven so that John could know what earth is really like. Do you get that? This isn't as heavenly as we think. This is gritty and earthy and this life, this world kind of stuff, Revelation is dealing with. It's changing your perspective so that you'll know what's actually going on. And by the way, Jesus isn't hiding or manipulating or spinning the truth. You don't have to wait for WikiLeaks to leak all of this information. He initiates. He showed it to John and he told John, show this to my church. Record this so that in 2017, kids in New Mexico can be hearing what you saw so that they can participate in being pulled out of where they are in this life, in this world, your familiar surroundings, lifted up to a new perch so that you can see where you are in a whole new light and in a whole new perspective. That's what Jesus needs to do and wants to do through this book, is to take you out so that for the first time, perhaps, you can see. That's what Revelation is about. So I got to ask you, are you interested Are you up for the adventure? If that's what's going on in this passage, if John is saying, hey, come here, like someone pulls up a YouTube video, hey, you gotta see this, and you're looking over their shoulder, John is saying, hey, you gotta see this. You have got to see this. You in particular have got to see this. Are you up for that adventure? Or the question also has to be asked, will you, Christian or not, continue to coast through your days, with your ears plugged, unwilling to listen. Or perhaps, I mean, you're here, so that assumes something about your, your curiosity to hear this kind of stuff. And so maybe you're here willing to hear this stuff read, and maybe you're even listening to me. Maybe this guy has a point or two, but are you willing to import it to your heart? Are you willing to let it trickle down into the places that begin to readjust All of the conclusions you've made about this life and this world and what God is like. And is there a God? And who am I and what was I made for? Are you are you willing to let this disrupt all that you thought was true about the world and life? That's what it means to listen and to take it to heart. And John said, those people are the ones who are blessed. If you find yourself hesitant to listen, or if you find yourself saying, Oh man, this is gonna be a bunch of hogwash or whatever. You have got to ask, you just got to ask yourself this question. Do you believe as an 18-year-old or a 20-year-old or a 24-year-old or a 35-year-old that you've got it all figured out? Do you honestly trust your conclusions one quarter of the way through your life that they are all certain, all solid, all accurate, need no adjustment, no learning for the rest of your life? That's what you're saying. If there is in you an unwillingness to hear and to listen, it's an alternative belief. And the thing you're believing is is your own conclusions, your own certainty that, no, I don't need to be taken out of where I am to see what life is really like. I already know what life is really like. I see the world as it is. I'm not blind to anything, nor am I deceived by anything. That is an outrageous and audacious, outrageous in its magnitude, and audacious claim So I want to point that out just so if that's where you are, you have to own the audacity of where, of where where you are and what you say you believe. I also have to ask these questions because if you have any connection with the church in your past, like grew up Christian or grew up Catholic or grew up anything, religion was a part of your background, you've probably heard about the book of Revelation and Where do we file this book away in our minds when you hear, oh, we're doing Revelation this spring? You're like, crazy town. Because, like, maybe you had a pastor growing up who, like, got out of chalkboard and told you the day and the time when Jesus is going to come back, and you're like, where the heck is he getting this stuff? Or you read right off the page stuff about dragons and beasts and Armageddon and white horses and Satan being thrown into a lake of fire, and you're like, fantasy fiction filed away. It's entertaining, I can kind of get wrapped up into the fun of the story, but it's a story at the end of the day that's not true. And caveat, we'll talk more and more about this. Revelation is we would put it in a genre of kind of some poetry, some apocalyptic stuff, some prophecy, lots of imagery and symbolism. But here's the point, the, stu- the stuff the symbols point to, that the imagery points to is solid rock reality. That's what it claims to be. If you read it on its terms, that's what it claims to be. This might not sit well with you. If you're hearing everything I'm saying, you're saying, amen, amen, keep preaching it, and there's nothing in you that has any difficulty believing this stuff, maybe you need to challenge yourself to think about it a little bit harder. Because some of you in the room, and I bet most of the people not in this room who I've heard about RUF all the time and have zero interest in ever coming. They would hear this stuff and say, this is ridiculous. Because, and I think the reason this happens, we live in a naturalistic age where, by faith, we believe that the only real things in the universe are those things which you can verify empirically. The only true and real things in the universe are things you can touch, taste, see, smell, or feel. That's it. Verification principle. The only problem with that, and the only question that I would have for you, if that's a position you hold to, is what have you smelled, touched, heard, seen, or tasted that empirically proved that truth claim? That all there is in the universe is that which I can see, taste, smell, hear, whatever else. What? hard scientific data do you have to support your own truth claim that that's all there is. There's nothing more. That belief falls under its own weight in about three seconds. So to to look at the world and say this is all there is is not actually a position of logic. It's a position of faith. Just like the person who holds to the Bible believes. It's just we're rooting our faith in a very different source. One is rooting their faith in what claims to be the revealed Word of God, and the other is rooting their faith in their sensibilities or other people's sensibilities. That's why this stuff can be tough to hear. That's why it's so easy to dismiss revelation into the category of children's story or crazy zombie apocalypse stuff that has no bearing on real life. I would argue that you can and shouldn't just blindly assume that the only things... That truly exist are things which you can see or hear or taste or touch. I would suggest to you, and Revelation wants to argue with you, that there is more than meets the eye. There is more to life than what you can perceive or test. There's a theologian named Daryl Johnson that I'll quote a lot through this semester because he is... I think, so spot on with what Revelation is about. He said this, it's a long quote, but it's easy. So he said, if John, if the Apostle John were here with us tonight in this room, he would say something like this to us. Take in all the data you can gather through your five senses and then realize, as I did when I was exiled on the island of Patmos, that there is more to what we call life than we can know with our unaided senses and intellect and emotions. And not be seen, he would say to us. Or they're not only as they seem in your life or mine. There is more to this present moment than we can know with our unaided senses. There's more to history than we can know with our unaided intellect and emotions. And then he would get it down to earth and, and say, this is why this matters. The more you see this, the more your whole perspective on life changes. He said, we're given in Revelation an alternative reading of reality or a true Interpretation of reality. We begin to read the newspaper differently. We begin to understand the pressures and tensions of life differently. We find ourselves making different choices about our use of time and money. Most importantly, John would tell us we see Jesus differently. We would see his cross differently, not as his crucifixion being his defeat, but his crucifixion being the way the living God has triumphed over evil forever. John isn't discounting the very things God created and gave us to use. He's not saying, oh, forget about all of your senses and your scientific data and your tests. No, he's saying, soak it up, but don't be so naive as to think that those senses will exhaustively explain to you the infinite universe. I think here's the takeaway from us from the quote I just read. All of us, no matter where you are with God, all of us, Must learn to be more suspicious of the instinctive ways we make sense of our lives. We all have a default way. Every single one of you, as a theologian and me, every single one of you is trying to make sense of a bunch of confusing data in your life. Something happened to you you and your kid. You're trying to to get conclusions from that. What does that mean? Well, there can't be a good God because this happened to me. Or you're saying, well, if God was so real, why won't He make Himself known to me? I've been asking. I've been knocking. Or you'll say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm in a horrible spot. God, where are you? He's far away from me. Or you'll say, man, the break is not at all what I expected it to be. I had this reading list and I was going to pray and do all this stuff and I did nothing. You have got to start being more suspicious. You've got to start doubting the instinctive ways you interpret your own life. And you've got to be more doubtful and suspicious of the ways you instinctively interpret the world. Some of you are in this room, you're a Christian, you're a raised Christian, and you think the world is coming to an end because such and such party in this country or this country or this country got, got elected, you're interpreting history in a way that the Bible would really love to argue with you about. Some of you, uh, some of you look at the election and you say, Finally, our guy's in office the Bible would love to argue with you. Some of you are saying this is the cataclysm that he got elected. The Bible would love to argue with you and say, why are you interpreting history that way? Lift you out of where you are and show you a new vantage point. Here's the point. Jesus shared his perspective. Jesus, the all-knowing one, the all-seeing one, the all-powerful one, has allowed you to look over his shoulder and John's shoulder so that your perspective might change, because perspectives are powerful. Lastly, then we push on, if you refuse to let God, through this book of Revelation, lift you out of this world and take you to a new way of looking at the world, if you do not go down that path, I would suggest that you or I will continue to remain blinded to a dozens of isms. Emotionalism will blind you. You will believe whatever your emotions tell you in that moment. Consumerism will blind you. You will believe that the best things in life are material goods and the more I have of them, the happier I'll be and you'll waste a lot of money going down that path. Hedonism will blind you. Pleasure, living for the weekend is all there is. So I'm going to go for it. Individualism, me and my wants and my desires and what I identify as, that's the be-all, end-all in life. Me self-actualizing. That will blind you like you wouldn't believe to reality. Scientism, believing, not, not appreciating the power and the goodness of science, but looking and bowing to science as an all-telling, all-knowing God that has no limits. It's transcendent. Naturalism, materialism will blind you. Tribalism, Retreating to your own little people who believe everything you believe and think the world is the way you think it is. That will blind you. Partisanship will blind you. Secularism will blind you. If everyone would just keep their beliefs to themselves, the world would be a better place, even though you can't keep that belief to yourself. Spiritualism will blind you. Historical progressivism will blind you. The idea that the more technology and medicine and knowledge we have, the better the world will get even though the Industrial Revolution was immediately followed by more human beings killed than ever before, even though the discovery of penicillin is followed 150 years later by antibiotic-resistant organisms, which they think we might not have antibiotics in 100 years that fight what we know now. All of these things will blind you and hold you captive and not let you go if you don't let God rescue you from the claws of the isms. Second point is this, and they're quicker, and we'll, then we'll wrap it up. Because perspectives are so powerful, it's really dangerous if you lose it. We just spent a few minutes talking about how, how powerful perspective is. If you lose perspective, we talked about this when we did psalm series. If you lose perspective in life, there's a high, high cost to that. Here's, here's a little bit of nerd-out history for a second about the book of Revelation. The Christians John's writing to in the seven churches, you can go look on a map today, you can go over to Turkey and visit each of these seven places. There were cities in Turkey. There were churches, part of the Roman Empire at the time. And they were on the verge, they were on the fence, they were teetering between leaving Jesus because life had gotten so hard because of the persecution, the circumstances. They were ready to throw it all away. They had lost perspective or at best, we're losing perspective. And so John is firing off this letter. Jesus, will find out in a week, he himself speaks to these people and these churches because they had lost perspective. This is why this is so important. If you lose perspective, persecution will always kill perseverance. If you lose perspective, persecution will always win. There's a quote. If you love God for who he is, you'll never fall away. If you love God because of what he gave you, as soon as he takes away what he gave you or withholds what he was giving you, you're out the door. You love God because he gave you all these things and an easy life and a good life, but the second tragedy hits, you're out the door. You leave it. The second he withholds something that you thought you needed to live, you're gone. If you lose perspective of who God really is, of what he's really like, of what he's really doing right now, persecution will always kill perseverance. It just wins. Life as a Christian will get so hard and so painful that you will find whatever the nearest exit door is to get the heck out of Dodge, that the tension would go away, the complexity would go away, life would just get easier. And that's where these seven churches are. That's where these Christians are just 60 years after their moms and dads and their friends and their neighbors saw with their eyes a man who claimed to be the son of God rise from the dead and ascend to heaven before crowds. 60 years later, this is where the churches are. Should we assume that maybe we're in a little bit more danger than they were? 2,000 years down the road instead of 60? 60? John himself is suffering. He says he's on the island of Patmos. Patmos was the Roman Empire's Alcatraz. That's where they sent you to shut you up. If the state didn't like what you were saying, the state disappeared you. Patmos is where they sent you. John is sidelined. He is there until he will die. He's writing this letter around the year of 95 or 96 AD. The the Caesar, the king, was Domitian. Domitian came after a, a line of a couple of other particularly brutal kings, or Caesars, Caligula, Nero, then Domitian. And these kings are, what's interesting, they claim divinity. The Roman Caesars claimed divinity for themselves. There were laws on the book, every subject will call me the Lord your God. I'm not making that up, you can go read a pot shard in a museum, and it will say in Greek, the Lord my God. That is what the law required every subject to call Caesar. So you can imagine, while the Bible calls these new little Christians to obey the emperor and serve him and honor him, no matter whether he's a tyrant or not, they did have a problem with bowing the knee to him and saying, you're the son of God, which he also liked to be called. You're the Lord our God. They had a problem. They wouldn't go that far. And that was a deep threat uh, to the king. This king was impetuous. He didn't put up with dissent. So he crushed them. With their lives, he took their stuff. He took away their rights. He persecuted them. And persecution against Christians in around 180 was going viral around the Roman world. If you cared about what the crowd thought, you would not have lasted as a Christian because the crowd thought you were an idiot. The crowd thought you were silly, small-brained. Or the crowd thought you were dangerous. That was not a culture that would put up with, you do you, boo. That's for you, Trish. Trish gives me a hard time about that. There was no you do you. It was, if you don't do Caesar, if you don't do Rome, we crush you. We kill you. There will be no dissent. It was obey or die. Now, persecution isn't about pain. Persecution's about persuasion. You know why countries torture people? Not because they want to make them hurt, because they want to persuade them to change allegiances. John is taking these Christians and you up to heaven, and he's saying, Don't you get it? The persecution you're experiencing, the mockery you get as a Christian, the scoffing, the dismissal, the ridicule, the condescension, the, oh, Bless your heart. You don't really. You haven't arrived yet. You don't know the way the world really is. Uh, he's saying that's not so much a factor of God abandoning you. That is the world persecuting you to persuade you to think the way they think, act the way they act, love what they love and hate what they love and hate what they hate. And y'all know the feeling. You know what the pressure is like when you're the only one in the room or in the class who actually, actually believes what you believe. You know what it's like to be the only one in your friend group who didn't change your Facebook profile to this or that or after this tragedy or after that moment or after this moment. You know what it's like to be ostracized and made invisible because of allegiance to Jesus. You know, which means nothing has changed from the first century to the 21st. It's the same. Christians then were sidelined, ridiculed, mocked, pushed aside. Christians now are... As well, but it gets more complicated because it's not just that it's like an us and them thing. It's even it's it's other Christians too who will begin to ridicule you and mock you and say, "Oh, if you just man, if you just read more books or were more educated, you would understand that God doesn't really mean this when He says that, and the Bible surely doesn't mean this." It's 2017. Come on, Beth Moore, who I'm I'm assuming a lot of you like, she's a very gifted teacher. Um, Read her with a critical eye. She did say something at Passion Conference recently where she hit the nail on the head a few weeks ago, a couple, tens of thousands of, of people in the Georgia Dome. She said to them, you will watch a generation of Christians, of Christians, she emphasized, set the Bible aside in an attempt to become more like Jesus. And stunningly, it will sound completely plausible. This will perhaps be the cleverest of all the devil's schemes in your generation sacrifice truth for love's sake. And you will rise or you will fall based on whether you will sacrifice the one for the other. And she said to a stadium full of people just like you, will you have the courage to live in the tension of truth and love? This is the cauldron you live life in. And again, this is the cauldron the Christians in the seven churches that John is writing to, that's the cauldron they lived life on. We're not in some weird, unprecedented cultural historical moment. This is normal. This is every day. These Christians were losing perspective and they needed a new one and so do we. But the biggest and last question is this, of what? It's easy to say, man, I need to get away and clear my head and get a new perspective. Or it's easy to say, I just need to see things in a different light. But what perspective? The essential perspective is the one that sees Jesus as he is, where he is, and what he's up to in the world. That's the essential perspective, to see Jesus as he is, where he is, and what he's up to in the world. And that's what these revelations recorded in this book record. And I want to warn you, because we're about to plow ahead through 22 chapters. We're not going to talk about it all, but we'll dance through it. Don't lose sight of what I just said. Revelation is about Jesus. It's about who he is. It's about where he is. We'll talk about that next week. It's about what he is doing now, today, what he plans to do tomorrow, what he did a week ago. That's what this book is about, and you can't lose sight of that. Because if you do, you will start to look around the world and say, man, the church is dying. You'll look around Western culture and you'll be like, man, the gospel is on the decline. You read Revelation, you're like, well, I don't mean to be glib. I don't think Jesus has gotten that news because he seems to be plowing ahead. You'll think that the devil is advancing. He's winning ground. He's not. He is a, he is a defeated foe who has already been delivered a decisive death blow. He is just gasping at his last, air, last breaths of air. Christ is not and cannot and will not be ignored by humanity. He is humanity's creator and sustainer. You can't take a breath without him. He will not be mocked. John says every eye will see him. He says later every tongue, not the tongues of his people, every knee will bow. And there will either be a glorious moment if you're united to him or a terrifying moment. We are not alone Even though the world rejects us, you won't be able to believe that if your perspective isn't lifted up to heaven. Let's end with this story and why it matters. There's a story, again, from that guy, Daryl Johnson. He says there was uh, these seminarians and they went and played basketball at this community gym every night after class. And there was this old simpleton janitor uh, who they eventually noticed, they got to know him because they played there every night, and they, they noticed this guy is reading a Bible. And they're like, what are you reading? And he says I'm reading Revelation. And they laughed at him. And they said, "Nope, nobody understands what Revelation is about. Revelation's crazy." So they said sarcastically and dismissively, "So what do you what have you learned?" And he said, "I learned that Jesus is going to win." A couple of weeks go by, these guys play basketball in this gym every night. They notice that this guy, after he finished reading Revelation, he went right back to Revelation chapter 1 and started all over again. So they ask him again, kind of a little bit playfully, a little bit sarcastically, hey, second try, what would you learn this time, old man? And he pulls out this crinkled little Bible and he says, I learned that Jesus already won. That is what Revelation is about. That's the true interpretation of reality. That's the way the world really is. That's where history really is going, this convergence on the person of Jesus. Jesus has already won. And he is patiently continuing to expand his church so that people like me at age 24 who hated the thought of being connected to him would be conquered and overcome by his grace and by his truth. Friends, the more certain you are about the future, the more you can actually start living your life. Ask Brittany, she knows now that marriage to Daniel is in her future. Does that change how you and Daniel relate? You bet your life it does. Professor tells you you get to drop the lowest test of the semester, does that change how you study? You you (laughs) bet your life it does. You bet your life it does. The more you are certain about the future and the way it really is, the more you actually know how to live your life now. Let's pray that Jesus would help us to do this. Lord, we believe, we want to believe, we need to believe these these things we heard from you tonight. These aren't my ideas. We would be in a horrible place if my friends came to listen to me talk. But we have heard these things from you You have revealed them to us. You have shared them with us. So make us take them seriously. Make us uh, soften our hearts that these things might actually be taken to heart and not just left bouncing off our ears. We ask this in your name. Amen.